0: So we're going to talk about fighting fear today. We're going to fight a little bit of uh, fear. You know, there's so much in this world to be fearful of and worried about, right? There's all kinds of options for us. If you're looking for something to worry and have fear about, lots of options out there, aren't there? There's health concerns. There's safety concerns. There's economic concerns. If anybody, for some reason, has a fear over economics right now, there's concerns over crime. Uh, just got back into town been, been away You know If my life ever gets boring All I need to do is go away For a little while And just man It all breaks loose All of a sudden That's the way So we, we live in a pretty safe neighborhood Major crime spree Breaks out in our neighborhood While we're away And our house didn't get broken into But a bunch of our neighbors Their houses got broken into And so there's another concern there was something else for us to lay awake and worry about last night. We flew in last night, got in extra late because there was thunderstorms here. and So we're you know, worried about getting in late, worried about there's so much to do, stack of mail on the front porch, and crime spree breaking out. So we're just worried about people breaking in and, you know, whatever. Okay, so uh, where did fear come from? Where did all that uh, where did it all begin? Because, you know, the Bible is pretty clear that it says this. God did not give us a spirit of fear but one of power and strength. So God says, I didn't give you fear. So where did it start? It started, the first time that we hear about and that we read about fear is in Genesis. Just after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, this is quite interesting, just after they disobey God, they decide to follow the devil's advice rather than God's instructions to them. The very first thing they experience is fear. Isn't that interesting? The very first thing that happens when there is disobedience to God, not following God's ways, the first thing that's experienced is fear. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, There sure is a lot for us to have fear and worry about, but God, you have something to say to us. And as we look at the lives of two very well-known women from the Bible— God, I pray that you would teach us and that, Lord, for those of us who maybe were in the grip of fear this morning, God, I pray that that grip would break and we would just find peace and assurance in you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, today we're going to talk about two of the most famous women in all the Bible. We kicked off a series uh, last week, Wonder Women of the Bible. Today we're going to talk about Eve, the mother of creation, of all creation, and Mary, the mother of all recreation. So, Brenda got us kicked off in grand fashion last week. I've listened to it uh, online, and I walked in this morning, and Patrick met me out front. He says, Look, if you see any cracks in the walls or anything like don't worry about it, because Brenda rocked the house last week. So I've been getting numerous phone calls and emails about Brenda's message. And if you haven't heard it, you can go on TryGrace.org. My goodness, you know, you'll, you'll be glad that you did and hear the message from, from last week. It was awesome. Like I said, I got tons of phone calls and emails. I got a couple emails, though. People were like, man, it was inspiring. It was great. Brenda was fantastic. And then, you know, a number of emails said, hey, John, she was so great. You don't even worry about coming back, man. She was... <laughs> And I wasn't quite sure how to take that kind of thing. So anyway, uh, you want to you want to really check that out. All right. So um, you know, here's what I want to do first. Yeah, I want to just talk just for a few moments background on women in general. You know, we did this disciple series, unusual suspects. We talked about the guys that followed Jesus around. We talk about um, some incredible women in the Bible. I just want to talk about women for a few moments because I think. I think that maybe uh, sometimes there's a misunderstanding of what the view is of women, a biblical view of women. And it always surprises me because there are a couple verses and I think a lot of times those verses are taken out of context and people think, well the Bible doesn't have this, you know, high view of women. If you put all of it together and you have the the, the whole sense of what the Bible says, how could it be anything? I mean, it's not even remotely true. And I'm going to just take you through a couple of brief things. Uh, and hopefully, you, maybe you'll see what I have seen as we talk about this. You know, Bible written at a time when equal rights, equal rights, that wasn't even on the table, people. Forget it. That, that discussion didn't even happen. And if you consider the things the Bible has to say, Revolutionary. I mean, at the very least, a lot of people say, you know, the word, the the Bible is the inspired word of God. I'm one of them. I believe the Bible is inspired word of God. But if you don't believe that, if you're here and you don't believe that, you don't believe, okay, that's fine. At the very least, everybody should say, my Lord, have mercy. The Bible has got to be the most revolutionary book of all time, written thousands of years ago. And what it says and what it does is unbelievable consider some of these things that it has to say about women it starts right in genesis chapter one where it talks about the fact that both man and woman equally were created in the image of god it tells children that they should honor and obey both their mothers and fathers everybody that wasn't popular opinion when that was written that they should honor honor your father yes obey your father yes but to honor your mother That was not popular opinion back then. Women in marriage were considered partners and equals in marriage. Check this one out from Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, in a day and age when a woman would walk 10 steps behind the husbands. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, you should love your wives sacrificially to the point that you should be willing to put their needs way ahead of yours, even if you have to die for them. Whoa. Put their needs ahead of you, so you got something you want to do or whatever, she comes first. That was revolutionary, and this is what the Bible talks about. It now check this out, First Peter chapter three. For those of you guys are married husbands out there, listen. If you're having a problem with your prayer life, you need to consider 1 Peter chapter 3 because this is what it says. It says, Husbands, if you treat your wife harshly, you mistreat her in some way, you hurt her, just whatever, whatever, you do something wrong, God says, I won't even listen to your prayers. So don't bother praying. Don't bother praying. So if I mistreat, and she knows that scripture first, if I. <laughs> If I do something wrong to Christa, what I mean, give up. What's the use in praying? It's going to be of no effect whatsoever. This is what the Bible says about women. How about Proverbs chapter 31? I mean, Proverbs, if you haven't, if you're a lady here today and you have not read Proverbs 31, there's your assignment. Go get your Bible after church. Don't read it now. Bible after church read Proverbs 31 this whole chapter does this incredible woman does all this stuff wisdom the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom and it describes wisdom as this thing oh my gosh you got to get wisdom what is wisdom everybody wisdom isn't just knowledge wisdom is both knowledge and then knowing what to do with the knowledge you have a lot of people in this a lot of people in this city have knowledge Arlington County you know everybody is the most educated county in the United States of America you sit it's a teacher in the back, I think, did that. You sit in the most educated county in America. That's, that's knowledge. See, that's knowledge. But we know what wisdom is. It's more than just knowledge. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge that you have. Big difference. Big difference. And it says that you should go after wisdom with all you got. Matter of fact, I love it. As a kid, I used to love reading that verses. With everything you got, get wisdom. Go after it. It says it's a valuable treasure, and you should go after it. And then it personifies wisdom as what? a woman a woman fascinating genesis 1 and 2 let's talk about creation as you read through the creation story of genesis 1 and 2 there is a clear escalation in the order of creation first it gets big like bam god creates the entire universe whammo here it happens it's big it's really big and then it just starts going like this it gets smaller and it gets more refined it gets more intricate it gets more detailed refined 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 and then all of a sudden you have what Adam is created. And who knows what Adam was created out of? What was Adam created out of? Dirt. Dirt. Dirt, Say it. Dirt. 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 Yes. Any men here ever feel like dirt? I don't know. So created out of dirt is what we're told that Adam was created now what was Eve created out of let's read the story because it's in Genesis chapter 2 and what is so fascinating everybody particularly for you that are in the medical field is God was the first person to perform a surgical procedure on the face of the earth we're told that at Garden General Hospital that God calls in the anesthesiologist and he puts Adam to sleep God doesn't even know what's going on. Cuts him open, removes a rib that apparently he did not need, and God creates Eve. So, Genesis 2, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So Adam is created out of dirt, and what is Eve? She is, let this sink in for a second, refined humanity. Refined humanity. She is the final thing called into existence, the final thing that is created. She is the crown of creation, God's finishing touch, His masterpiece. Now, how in the world can anybody read Genesis to Revelation and not have an understanding that a woman is the masterpiece of the Creator God? It's unbelievable. That's who you are. This is what the Bible, for all you women here today, this is what the Bible says about you. This is who you are. You're God's masterpiece. You're His finishing touch on all of creation. I want to read something to you. It's from a Puritan writer written a couple hundred years ago. He's a Bible scholar. His name is Matthew Henry. And this is what he writes about women. It says, The woman was made out of a rib, out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him. This, ladies, not made out of his head to rule over him. Nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. I thought that was pretty, I thought that was pretty good. Fear. Everybody experiences fear. But it seems to me, everybody, that for some reason, women have a larger portion of worry and fear on their plates. There's probably a number of reasons why that I'm not smart enough to delve into this morning. Can I just offer two? Okay. Since you didn't say anything, I'm going to move ahead. I'm going to offer two. First one is this. I have noticed this about my wife. She's better at multitasking than me. I just said that we just got back. We've uh, we've been away uh, out of town on vacation with the family. And so we're coming back. And Krista has a long list of things that need to get done, like things to worry about and be fearful about, stuff to do, you know, and stuff that caused her to lay awake a lot of last night i have pretty much the exact same identical list right so we've got this long list of things now let me tell you the way i handle it and the way she handles it so the way i handle it is let's just say the list has 20 things on it so both of us have a list of 20 all right i got number one on my list it stops there because we'll get to two to twenty later but i i only deal with one at a time we're dealing with one We'll talk about two to twenty later, but once the one's taken care of, then we move. And then my brain does that; it just no, there's no problem with that. It just stops at one. Her brain doesn't. Her brain says, "You know what? Let's experience all of it at one time." That's <laughs> just process. So all night long, as I'm trying to sleep, I can just hear the purr of the computer next to me it's just going bzzz, all 20 things just rolling rolling i look at her sometimes and says, man it's, it's just that mind's rolling in it she says yes it is and so uh i think that's one of the reasons you know i can't my brain for whatever reason can't contain it all at one time thank god for that right uh that's one i, I want to suggest something else too and i've gotten this because of just reading this story over and over and over again for the past couple weeks here's what hit me Over and over again, it says that Adam was the one that sinned and brought sin into the world. Adam. And you know what struck me about that, everybody? I mean, if you've read the story, Genesis chapter 3, didn't she eat the fruit first? I mean, what is the deal? might have to take the blame for what she did. Right? What's happening there? What is happening now? So it says, but it makes it really clear. He's the one that did it. And she was the one that was deceived. He's the one that... So what happened is, is that when the instructions, when God gave instructions about the tree in the middle and not to eat of its fruit, first of all, we know this, that Eve wasn't there when those instructions... So in other words, she had to get all of her information about the tree from Adam, which is a major problem all in itself, if if you understand what I'm talking about, okay? So she's got to get the information from him. But what, what we get is this, is that Adam outright rebelled against God. He knew clearly, he got it right from the source of what he should and should not do, and he rebels against God. But then it quickly says, but Eve was deceived. Now here's what I want to focus on for a second. In a spiritual way, right, and all, I don't know, maybe a natural way too, but in a spiritual way, are women larger targets for deception? Like, is there some kind of target on them that the enemy of our souls comes after them to try to deceive them to a larger degree? Everybody's right. Men are trying to be deceived, too. Right. We have a target. on But is that target larger? And if that target is larger, everybody, wouldn't that make you feel if you've got to walk around in life and knowing that there are, you know, people out there that you have to keep your guard up against all the time? Doesn't that kind of make you have fear all the time? And that's just one thing. I don't know if that's biblical or not, but it just struck me. Ever since the beginning of time, the enemy went after her to deceive her first and not Adam. Is he after God's masterpiece to deceive her of everything that she could be? And that's just a thought I have. All right, that's uh, everybody, that's Eve. And I would like to move on now to Mary because, as I said in the beginning, we see how fear enters the world. It enters it through genesis chapter 3 and the fall of you know mankind and and the world but what we see in mary is we see how we fight fear how do we go about battling worry and fear that exists? and we see this clearly in the life of mary the blessed virgin mary when i was in seminary my professors were very clear they all said the same they said, listen You can talk about characters in the Bible all day long. You can have fun with them. You can talk about their faults. You can do goofy things with them, whatever, to make things inspire in your congregation. But never, ever, ever mess with the Virgin Mary. You mess with the Virgin Mary, you're in trouble. So I remember that. So what I'm going to say about Mary is going to be very brief because I don't want to upset her in some way in case I do. Um, Brief comments about her background. Uh, from a poor peasant family that lived in a the despised city of nazareth we all know the way Jesus' disciples felt it out nazareth can anything good come out of nazareth that's who she was peasant family poor city of nazareth she was very humble that's clear she was very devout that was clear and she also was a sinner which is a little confusing some people think that she's sinless, and there's all this hoopla a lot of times about Mary. Uh, a grilled cheese sandwich sold for $28,000 on eBay back in 2004 because supposedly it had the image of Mary burned into the toast on the grilled cheese. Thinking, I want whatever machine made that grilled cheese, I'm going to get me one. That's what I'm thinking. There's no economic problems anymore. Maybe you guys don't have problems with money. I do, and I would like one of those grilled cheese sandwich makers that puts Mary in there so I can sell them for 28000 bucks. So she makes it very clear in what we call the Magnificat, which is Luke chapter 1. It's her song of praise to God. Right after she's told that, you know, you're going to be with child, you're a virgin, all this. Right? She sings this song to praise. In her opening line of the Magnificat, she says, Thank you, God, my Savior. Now, you know what's really clear as you read the Bible? There's one kind of person in the Bible that needs a Savior, a sinner. So if she needed a Savior, that made her what? Thank you very much. That's what it made her. And she says it in her own words to us that she also needs a Savior. All right. Mary had a lot to be afraid about. And I know we've talked about this before, but at this point cannot be stressed enough. She had a tremendous amount to be worried and afraid about, much more than Eve ever did, much more. I mean eve we got her she 's hiding behind bushes and stuff, and she 's scared to death in Genesis chapter three. Think about all the things that Mary had to be afraid of i mean she, she should have been she should have been shaken in her sandals, filled with worry and fear why isn 't she? What strikes me about Mary is her world should have been rocked to the core, but it wasn 't why wasn 't it? Think about this. The angel appears to her. Of course, she's initially... The first word, she says, don't be afraid. Well, that's understandable. She's afraid then. I mean, how many people are looking at angels every day, showing up to you, right? I mean, that's pretty fearful. But after you get over that first, you know, shock of, whoo, hello, right? After you get over that, then she's just like rock solid. She was told, you're going to have a baby. You're going to be with child. It's going to, you know, virgin birth. Now, In her day, she's engaged to this guy named Joseph. If she shows up pregnant, what happens to her? It's an honor. He honors his family. Joseph does. He honors his family if he says, take her out and stone her, split her head wide open and kill her. That's That's the honorable thing to do for his family because he has been so shamed by what she's done. I mean, she's talking about angels. I mean, come on. What, are you trying to make fun of him now? You're talking about angels? I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just ripe. So he consigns her either to hell by his decision by saying stone her because she's going straight to hell, right? Or if he chooses to let her live, he also puts her in hell. Can you imagine what it was like to live in a small town back then when it was all about what you did on the outside, all about what you did on the outside, all about the way you lived your life and everybody knows you're walking around pregnant and you were engaged to Joseph? I mean, can you imagine the shame that you would feel from your family, from your neighbors, from your friends? That's a living hell. She knows it, and she's rock solid. Why? I mean, I don't have a tenth of what she's dealing with in my own life to worry about, and I'm like quaking on my boots all the time. Why is she so stinking rock solid? What do we learn from her life that she does? I think we see a couple things. I'm going to mention three to you. The first one is this. You've got to know this. You always have hope. So if you're following along in the back of your bulletin, write that down. This is very important. Hope dissolves fear. Hope dissolves fear, and you always have hope. Mary was filled with hope. Why? You might say, John, that's great that she had hope. I don't have hope. Where do you get some of this hope? I want to tell you where you get hope. The same place Mary got hope. As you read through her words in Luke chapter 1, this song that she wrote to God, all it is is one scripture verse out of another that she pieced together from all over the Bible. Like this lady knew the Bible front and back. Like her brain was completely saturated with the Word of God. And what is interesting is we're told in Romans chapter 15 that the Word of God is what brings us hope. Now, I believe it brings us hope in a couple different ways. I believe it supernaturally brings us hope. I believe we can read the Bible, and because I believe it's inspired by God, I think that sometimes I read it, and though I don't see anything that's directly dealing with my worry or fear, something supernaturally happens. I think that really takes place. But you know what? Beyond that, this is like a how-to book. It's how to deal with my debt. If I'm in financial debt, I can turn to the Bible. and tells me how I should deal with it. It tells me how to deal with kind of issues, you know, relationships going on. It tells me how to do all kinds of that. It's very, very practical. And Mary knew this front and back over and over and over again. Her brain was saturated with the Word of God. And here's the good news. You might say, well, you know, I'll never know the Bible like Mary, so I'll never have the hope like Mary. You've got to be kidding me. You think Mary had one of these lying around her house? No, ma'am. No way. They, these were in short supply 2,000 years ago. This is like this great, incredible gift that we have today. Shoot, we're giving them out uh, on the table over there. We're giving free hope out around the corner because we have these in such plentiful supply. I've got the Bible. On my stinking cell phone. I can read it anytime I want to. I can iPod the thing. I can read it online. I can buy CDs of it and drive down the road and listen to it all over the place. We have this luxury today that Mary never had. We, we, we have the opportunity, everybody, to know the Bible way beyond what Mary could ever hope to know. it. And what happens when we know the Bible? When we saturate ourselves with the Bible, it just fills us with hope. So if you're looking for hope, here's where you get it. You just go to the Bible. Pump it into your brain. And what happens is it fills you with hope. Now, there's some other ways that we get hope as well. Hebrews chapter 6. It tells us this. It gives us this visual. It says that Jesus Christ is our hope and that Jesus Christ is an anchor. He's an anchor that is before the throne of God. And, oh, man, I've just got back from vacation. I've been down in Florida, and I'm doing a lot of fishing. I'm not a fisherman. But some people in my family are fishermen. And so we've been doing a lot of fishing. We've been around a lot of anchors. Now, a hook. A hook. A fishing hook is a little bit like an anchor, right? Very small. But I tell you what, those things are sharp, and, man, they stick. I mean, I've seen people, I don't know who they were, but I saw people like casting from one dock and hitting a dock over here and hooking onto to the other dock and having to go and remove it. I've seen people wrap the fishing line around their bodies and have the hook stuck in their calves. I don't think that's the way you're supposed to use those hooks. But I've seen all kinds of things take place in the last couple days. And there's one thing I've realized is that though that hook is so small, it's pretty solid. So when you're thinking about an anchor, everybody, get this visual. Jesus Christ is your anchor and he's anchored into the holy throne room of God. And there it sticks and it's solid. So what does it say to us then? What does all that mean that we have an anchor? It means simply this. If you're worried about something, talk to Jesus. If he's your anchor before the throne of God, then talk to him. I can't tell you how many nights I've laid awake for hours and hours and hours and worried and worried and worried. And all sudden, ah, maybe I should talk to Jesus about this. And I'll start talking to Jesus. In five minutes, I'm sound asleep. It's amazing, isn't it? It's like ambient. So talk to Jesus. The Bible says worry about nothing and pray about everything. It tells you to do that. That's how you get. you get hope from the Bible. You get hope from talking to Jesus. Last thing is this. Um, it's in, uh, where is it? 1 Peter uh, 3.15. It says this, that other people bring us hope. Other people bring us hope. Listening to the stories of other people actually bring us hope. We're inspired by that. Last week, Brenda, Brenda spoke. And what she gave us was the story of Hannah kind of wrapped up in her own spiritual journey. I had no idea Hannah was from Puerto Rico. But she gave us this journey, right, her own journey. And what? People were inspired. We were inspired by that because we heard about what God was doing in her life. I have found that one of the most effective things to inspire us and bring hope into our lives is when we hear what God is doing in somebody else's life. The book of Revelation says it's so powerful, it defeats the work of Satan, Revelation chapter 12. That's how powerful it is. Every time we do a baptism, we're doing a baptism next Sunday night. Every time we do a baptism, we encourage those people being baptized to simply share their spiritual journey because it's powerful. No matter how simple it is, it's powerful. We did something here this past Lent. Started last February, called the Axe Experience. Lasted six weeks. It was incredible. Why? Because we had every single person at the table share their spiritual journey. And what happened to the people sitting at the table with them? They were filled with hope. Hope is in short supply in this world. We need hope. Hope fights fear, everybody. What you want to do is you want to get yourself around situations like that as much as you can to hear somebody else's story. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. You always have God. You always have God. You know what's interesting? Right after this uh, introduction, right in the beginning, where you, you, so it said, it said to uh, Mary, so Mary, you're going to have a child. And so first she's, she's afraid. God says this right off the bat. Says, the angel says this. He says, Mary, God is with you. God is with you. Those were powerful words. God is with you. When Joseph is freaking out royally about the fact that his fiancee has shown up pregnant and she's spouting off some crazy story about an angel and immaculate conception all this. What is it that the angel says to Joseph? He says, Joseph, this baby, call him Emmanuel because God is with you. You might say, man, that's great. God is with them. But John, I don't always feel God's presence. You know what? I don't either. I know that when I do, (laughs) I'm like, oh, man, there's nothing I can't defeat when I feel God's presence. The problem is, is I don't always feel God's presence. And that's a major bummer. So what do I do about it? Well, here's the thing. You know, in this room right now, this room right now, there's all kinds of people speaking and there's music playing. There's all this stuff happening. Some of it's really good music and some of it's terrible music and all this stuff is going on in this room. And the deal is, I can't hear it. And the reason I can't hear it is I don't have a radio receiver, right? I don't have a radio. I don't have a radio here to turn it on. I can't hear all this stuff that's going on in in this room. There are certain things that we need to do or not do to actually help us sense the presence of God, aren't there? Certain things that we can do. First of all, I, I feel in my own life that I sense the presence of God when I have a humble heart. If I don't have a humble heart, I generally don't sense the presence of God. I tend to be the kind of person that get my priorities out of whack a lot. I don't know about you, but I just do get my priorities way out of whack. And I sense the presence of God when I make priority adjustments in my life. I tend to be a person that sometimes am undisciplined when it comes to spending time with God. And I find that I sense the presence of God when I discipline myself a little bit more to spend time with God. Those are very simple things. I mean, I can either pick up those things which are kind of like a radio or... I can let him go. God is with us. It's up to us whether or not we want to connect with him. He's always there. Finally, nothing is impossible. Which is exactly what the angel says to Mary in Luke 137. Mary says after the angel's given this whole spiel about, "Man, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to conceive this child and he's going to be the savior of the world and isn't this great thing." And Mary says, what? You, you, that can't happen. That's, that's impossible. And what does the angel say back? The angel simply says back, with God, with God, nothing is impossible. So we've talked about some practical things today. We've talked about the fact that this book is very practical. It tells you how to do certain things. It's very practical in nature. I don't want to discount this at the end of this message today. I don't want to discount this. There is a God... And the God described to us in the Bible is a supernatural, miracle-working God. And don't forget that this morning for those of you who are facing fear right now, which some of you are. All of us are facing fear at some degree, but some of us have walked in this morning and we've got a lot of fear on our plates. And what you need to know is this, is that today could be the day that God tackles whatever fear is standing in front of you today could be the day that the God of the impossible makes something possible today could be that day for you don't discount that God could show up today and do something powerful in your life we're going to close in just a second we're going to sing a song turn out the lights music team is going to have a stand up and the prayer team is going to come up front and if for some reason you have that you would like prayer we would love to pray with you and believe that whatever you're facing whatever impossible thing you're facing that God would intervene and tackle that thing and make something possible where things seem to be impossible so during the final song or even after the service is over just come up front we want to pray with you the way I want to conclude this this morning is I want, I want to pray a prayer over all of us Yeah, you know, every now and then you come across the Bible there's actually prayers in the Bible and in Ephesians, there's one of them. And I just want to pray this one over all of us in these next few moments as I close because I believe it's really, really powerful. So would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. I pray that out of His glorious riches that God may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your very inner being. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love May have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more. Than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.